kids, I'm glad you're in here too. You just bring the joy to the room, right? And I want to just go ahead and tell you, parents, it does not bother me a bit if they have to make laps around this room. I'm just telling you, it does not bother me. Now, Caleb, when I came in today, he looked at me and said, hey, I thought you said come as you are. I said, well, this is my pajamas. Don't you wear suits to bed? No, I'm, I'm excited. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're joining us online, if you're in the room and you're a guest of ours, if you've been here for your first time, your second time, or your tenth time, we're excited to have you here in our house. Welcome home. We're glad that you're here. And if you are a, a guest of ours, we want to ask you to do us a favor. On your way out at our welcome desk, would you mind stopping today? And like Caleb mentioned earlier, we're, we don't want to call and harass you. We just want to see what God's doing in your life and how we as Ebenezer, our family, can come alongside of you and partner with you to see what God is and can do in your life. Now, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to make you turn to a hundred different places. Go to Luke 1 and just leave it there. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to be reading a lot of different things today, but, but I want you to think about how beautiful this set is this set not awesome? The people that put this together, the people that do things behind the scene, a lot of times we don't have the chance to thank them. For those of you that are usually down in the children's building, in the nursery, or over with the students, or leading a life group, can we take a moment right now with applause and thank them for what they do? Sometimes in our busyness, we take for granted the little things. But I'm telling you, it takes all of it together, working together as the body of Christ to make things happen. And, it's be and this said is beautiful. I'm sure this morning when you were opening Christmas presents, you probably woke up and you saw that, right? But then you saw this. This is probably more like what your house looks like right now, does it not? Thank you. <laughs> Love it, because that's exactly what it looked like. I mean, these kids got up and went, oh my gosh, let's go tear into this. And so they're just ripping paper. And, and I know there's some of you in the room like me that take your time and you break the tape open real slowly. Are you, who, is, who are my friends in the room? Thank you very much. That's how I open presents. It takes me a long time. Because then I've got one piece of trash in one unit that goes in the bag. But I mean, this is actually the wrapping paper from my house this morning. They tore into these presents and it created what we would call a big mess. Right? Can I tell you that when Jesus came into the world, it didn't look like this. Didn't look like this. It's actually pretty messy. That's right. I got an amen guy over here this morning. <laughs> You're going to just fire me up. Before this is over with, me and you are going to be up here preaching on the stage together. <laughs> but I want to take a few moments with our friends in the room. And I want to read a passage. And then I want to talk about a messy Christmas morn. Because Jesus didn't show up in a palace. He didn't show up in a beautiful setting. And even the things that surrounded the Christmas narrative wasn't pretty. It was pretty messed up. And if we're all honest in this room today, our lives 
have been and are pretty messed up at times too, isn't it? I don't know where you were in life when Jesus found you, but I know where I was in life when Jesus found me. And Jesus reached down into my mess, and he rescued me. And in the midst of all the mess of life, there was this precious gift that God gave to you and to me in Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage that I want to start off by reading, it's found in Luke chapter 1. And in this part of the narrative, this is the story of Gabriel visiting Mary, a young, possibly preteen child that's about to receive a message that was going to rock her world. Listen to what, would y'all mind standing for just a minute? Kids, y'all can get your jitters out even more. But I'm going to start in the 26th verse. It says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, that's King David by the way, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed, that means confused, at this statement and she kept pondering what, this, what kind of salutation this was. I'm pretty sure she was freaked out. That's not in the Bible. And he said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. What's his name? Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 17, what we call the Davidic covenant. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. No end for all time. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Of God. Why? Because Jesus wasn't born that day. He already existed. That was just the doorway into this world. Then listen to what he says. He gives her a sign. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Now listen to this. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes. Let your word speak to our hearts. That we may tremble at your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Now kids, y'all know the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But I'm telling you, that's a messy story. That story is about a young reindeer from the day of his birth that came into this world with a perceived disadvantage. A blemish, an ugliness, something abnormal that no one else, even his parents, couldn't accept. The amount of shame and guilt that his parents felt because he had a glowing red nose. But it was that very disability, that very messiness, 
that later in the story enables him to help Santa deliver the presents in the midst of messiness. If you remember the story, a blizzard had hit and he couldn't get out. And so what did he do? Rudolph's standing there in front of him and Santa's kind of irritated actually because his nose shone so bright. And so he hitches up Rudolph and puts him at the lead of his sleigh. And guys, the Christmas narrative is no different. When you look at the messiness that I just dumped out on this stage, I want you to think for just a moment about five different ways that I see that the Christmas narrative is messy. Parents, I'm going to handle this tactfully. Y'all are looking at me like, oh gosh, where's this going? It's going to be okay. Because the first one is this. In Matthew, Joseph's lineage, his history of where he came from, highlights the very brokenness. Because when you look at the Bible and it gives a heritage, when you go back to Genesis 3, Genesis 4, and you get these lineages, it would say so-and-so is the father of so-and-so and had these kids and lived and died. And so-and-so had this son and he lived to be this old and had sons and daughters and so forth. When you read Matthew's lineage, it goes kind of like this, 14, 14, 14. He goes, and listen, in verse 1 he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. That is a word from the Old Testament that means anointed one. And look at what he, he highlights. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's exactly how he's going to frame as he begins to build this lineage up to Joseph. But if you notice, it's kind of the same formula. Now, why did he highlight Abraham and David? For two reasons. Number one, because Jesus would be the son of promise. Say promise. Because he made a promise to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant that Abraham would have a lot of kids and a lot of land. That's why there's going to be a resurrection someday, because God still has to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Abraham has to dwell in the land that God promised that he would have. He never owned that land. He never lived in that land and settled in that land. God's got a promise to Abraham that's got to come fulfilled. That's called the Abrahamic covenant. But then he said the son of David. He made a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 that there would never stop being someone on your throne. That there would be one who would reign forever. And so that is the reason for this lineage. It's not complete. There's gaps and there's holes. But there's something very interesting he says, he starts going through here, I, Abraham was the father of Isaac, father of Jacob, goes, and then he says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Who was Tamar? Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. That's a messy story, am I right, parents? We'll stop there. Because then he goes on in verse 5 and mentions Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, where the spies go into Jericho and Rahab the harlot takes them in. She is a part of Joseph's genealogy. Then you go on down a little bit further and you see the word Ruth pop up in verse 5. And then we see the word Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah. Parents, you're welcome. VeggieTales makes an episode called King George and the Ducky that explains that story, sanctified. Because it's a messy story. This was Joseph's lineage. 
And Matthew chose to highlight these four women not because of their sin. Not just because of their sin. He chose to highlight it because they were not Jewish. Two were Canaanite. One was a Moabite. And one was a Hittite. Jesus brought hope not just to the Jewish people. Jesus brought hope to you and me, Gentiles. And so, even in the lineage, even before the story begins, we already see some messiness, but then it keeps going. Mary is pregnant before she's married. And number three is like it because Joseph faces public shame by marrying her. In fact, when we read Matthew chapter 1, it says that he actually thought about sending her away. Now, let me explain something real quick, a little teaching point. Back in those days, marriage didn't work like it does today. You didn't like go on dates and go see movies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, A man would go to the father of the bride and he would enter a contract and he would pay money and then he would leave. And in that interim period, she would be getting ready for marriage and he'd be away. They wouldn't see each other for, for a long time. And then one day, the, the, the groom would show up to pick up his bride. Well, in that interim time, Mary gets visited by an angel, and she becomes pregnant by a miracle of God. And that immediately is an uh-oh. Because what that meant is either A, Joseph made a mistake, or she made a mistake. And according to Deuteronomy 22, if the law was kept... They were supposed to be stoned to death. Did y'all get that? They were supposed to be stoned to death. Or he was supposed to go ahead and pay the dowry. And she would be his wife forever with no divorce. In your Bible study sometime, look up Deuteronomy 22. This was a messy situation, would you agree? But then number four, he was born in a stable. They were going home. To Bethlehem, because both of them are are from David. They're both royalty. They're both descended from the king. So they went back to Bethlehem, and it's so busy. It's like going to, to, to Atlanta during Christmas. It's so busy, they couldn't find a place to stay. She's in labor. I mean, it's kind of like here, like, I could see Mary and Joseph, they're getting ready to leave, and she's like, I ain't feeling so good. Well, you, you can ride on the donkey. I get to ride on a donkey. Remember that old, old wives' tale that says, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're getting ready for labor, just go get in a truck and ride on a bumpy dirt road and have to go into labor. Well, she had a donkey. She didn't have a four-wheel drive. And so they, they're riding, and I'm sure the ride was miserable. Can you imagine? I remember some of the things I said to Laura when, when we were delivering our children, some of the dumb things I said to Laura when we were delivering our children. I can imagine Joseph probably said a few dumb things on the way. But can you imagine her reaction when they went up to the inn and said, listen, my wife is about to have a baby. You've got to have room. There is no room in the inn. That's pretty jacked up because the stable didn't look like a barn. It didn't look like some of the places you have. It was probably pretty nasty. The king of the universe was coming into the world. I'm sorry about that. The king of the universe was coming into the world and it wasn't a palace and he wasn't even in a home. He was born in a stable with nasty animals that had come from all over the place. And that was the entrance of the king of the universe. Not only that, 
you had a would-be king on the throne named Herod that had been appointed by the Romans who had an ego problem and was nuts. He was crazy. He was so crazy, ladies and gentlemen, he had his own sons killed because he was afraid they would usurp his throne. That's how crazy Herod was. The Magi come through. Hey, we're looking for this, this king that's supposed to be born. We saw his star. Herod rose like, oh, well, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Hey, when you find him, tell me so I can come worship him too. Liar. No, what does he do? As soon as the Magi leave, they realize they don't need to go back. They, God tells them to leave, and they leave. And the next verse says, Herod, in his craziness. Now, this blows my mind. How many of you have a son under two years old right now? Son under two years old in this room. Anybody? Three years old. If your child's three years old, son is three years old. He ordered that every male child under the age of two be killed. And they killed him. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Your son is dead. I don't know about you. I have a son. I have two beautiful daughters and a beautiful wife. If anything happened to the four of them, it would devastate me. And the Bethlehem that we sing about and we rejoice about was full of sadness that first Christmas morning. It was pretty messy. And I mean, you think about the messiness in our life. Can we be real for just a moment that we have a lot of messiness too? I just gave you five reasons why the Christmas story is pretty messy. But in the midst of that messiness, God brought extravagant hope. Did he not? Did he not bring the greatest thing he could ever bring? Because when we think about ourselves, I want you to think about your, yourself for just a moment. And I want you to think about your thoughts. And I want you to think about your history and your heritage and your mistakes and your habits and your reputation and your image, your lot in life. I want you to think about where you came from. I want you to think about where you've been. And if we're all honest, it's pretty messy. Is it not? It's very messy. Even just in our thought life, even in the way that we treat the people around us, sometimes the way we get treated, the things that we say, does it not get pretty messy, ladies and gentlemen? Can we be honest and frank today that we live in a world of sin? The problem in life today is sin. Every bit of it. Any problem that we experience is sin. This world is under the weight of sin. But God in His sovereignty, God in His love, God in His power, God in His might saw fit to see sin the very best He had. sent His Son. And in the midst of our messiness, broke forth light. There, there's, a, there's a passage in the Old Testament that, that we're very familiar with. But it's found in Isaiah chapter 9. You probably, I think it was the verse of the day today. But here's the point of this. Jesus rescued us from the darkness. And he rescued us from the messiness. Doesn't mean that we're not still dwelling in it. Doesn't even mean that we're not walking through it. But God rescued us from the messiness, did he not? Listen to what he said. But there will be no gloom, more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he made it glorious by the way of the sea 
on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Where did Mary, where was she living? Do y'all remember? I said it, I read it. Where did she live? She lived in Galilee. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Why? I want you to skip down to verse number 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And our problem is, is we, we get into the messiness and we just think, you know, God, where are you? God, you have forgotten about me. You have left me in this muck and mire. Ladies and gentlemen, God did not leave us there. He saved us so that in the same messiness where we live, we could actually minister in the messiness. John 1 describes Jesus as the light that entered the world. Matthew chapter 5 said that we need to be lights. A city hidden cannot be seen, but one that's on a hill can shine bright. God has called you and called me to be that light. But we can't be a light if we take our muckiness and keep it over us. God has called you and He's called me to live in the hope God does impossible things. We have hope. We have hope today, sitting here today, because God looked down at a little preteen, teenage girl, and as He's talking to her again in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1, for nothing is impossible with God. When you hear those words, it takes your mind back to Genesis 18 when he's speaking to Abraham and Sarah. And the Lord said to them, is anything too difficult for the Lord? I don't care if you're 90 and 100 years old. I'm going to bring a baby into this world. His name was Isaac. Or even Jeremiah in chapter 32, he says, Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and you made the earth by your great power and your outstretched arms. Then he says this, nothing is too difficult for you. Ladies and gentlemen, do you need to be reminded that even in the midst of the stuff that you're dealing with, that God is over all things. God is all-powerful. God is bigger than anything that can come against you and me. And if anything holds us down, either God needs to get us through it to reveal His power, or God's going to rescue you out of it to show His power. God will reveal His glory and His power. And for that, we can praise Him forever and ever. Amen? When you say amen, you know what that means in Greek, right? Let it be so. When you say amen, we're saying, God, let this be so. We declare it. We're asking in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, he said, will I not give it to you? If you ask in my name, in his will, will he not give it to you? Guys, that's the greatest blessing we can realize on Christmas morning is that God is the God of impossible things. God does impossibility when you and I get to the end of our rope and we can't go any further. My question is this, why do we live that way? Ladies and gentlemen, why do we live in our own strength and power? Why do we think that the world hinges and revolves around you and me? 
and we don't surrender our will to Him, why is it that we wait to the very last resort to turn to the Lord and say, all right, God, I've messed it all up. Help me. Because what I've learned is when I try to fix my messes, usually it ends up looking like this. Because I make a bigger mess of it. Do we not? Rather than referring to God, we can minister in messy because we are messy. You ever heard, don't get beyond your raising? Don't get beyond your saving. God saved you out of messiness. But in saving you out of messiness, He wants you to remember that outside the grace of God, you are still a sinner. The only difference between those of us that have accepted Jesus and those of us that have not accepted Jesus is one will face judgment for their sin when they leave this world and the other will not. But let me tell you another reason. Those of us that accepted Jesus, we've got the power of God living inside of us to drive and propel us forward to the will that God has for our lives. I love what I read this lady quote online. She said this, Mary and Joseph had an imperfect Christmas. But you know what they had? They had each other. And in that dirty, stinking mess, they brought joy to the world. So I want to invite you today to reflect on our messiness. If you know Jesus Christ, I want you to ask yourself, kind of like uh, we, we see in It's a Wonderful Life, when he looks back at his life without him living and how messed up it would have been without him, because he's looking at his life and feels like it's messed up anyway. Feels like he's messed up a bunch of people's lives. But you know what's interesting? Jesus came into the world in a mess. But will we agree that he left this world in a mess too? Do you ever think about the cruelty of the cross? Do you ever think about what Jesus had to endure when he died on the cross? And the ugliness of that scene is the ugliness of our sin. Jesus was taken in trial without being, he was, he was innocent and he stood before the religious elite of, Jew, of the Jews and he stood before Pontius Pilate and he stood uncondemned. He was, he was, he was innocent. But then they took him and they whipped him 30 times with a cat of nine tails. They flayed his back open. They ripped his beard out. They crammed a crown of thorns. He should have been dead before he carried the cross. But he carried that cross across his back that was laid open to the bone. And, this, and what sustained him by the power of God and his love for you and me to that cross, then he laid down willingly as they nailed his feet and his hands to that cross and raised him up as he bled out and suffocated for you and for me. And when he cried out to Telestai, it is finished. He completed the process that allows you and me to be grafted into the family of God. He reached in to our messiness. And when I read the Bible, I love singing I love coming to church. I love all these things. But you know the one thing Jesus said to do in remembrance of him? The one thing he said, do this in remembrance of me? You know what it was? It was his supper. So right now what I want to do as we get ready to, to kind of wrap up our time of worship is we're going to worship through the communion. Now, when we take communion, this is for those of us in this room that have accepted Jesus Christ. But this is also for us, as our deacons are going to go ahead and get, get into place, I want to go ahead and give you some instruction. This is also for us 
to realize that we don't need to take it nonchalantly, if I can say that word. But we need to prepare our hearts. Those of you in this room that have trusted Christ as your Savior, this is a meal of reverence and worship. But if we take it wrongly, the Bible teaches us that it's, that it's actually a curse. For those of you in this room who may not know Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have, there's no magic formula. Right now, what you need to do in your heart is tell the Lord that you're a sinner, that you repent from that sin, that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins to be forgiven, taken away, and was raised again that He can give us new life. So I want to ask you all to bow your heads. In the next moments as we're getting ready to serve you, I want you to analyze your heart. I want you to confess your sin to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, if there's anything in me, anything in me, would you forgive me? Would you purify me? So that as you take this communion today, you can do it in such a way that reflects the glory of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for today. God, that in the midst of our messiness, God, you reached down. And you picked us out. Why? Because nothing is impossible with you. Some of us in this room today, we, we, we've witnessed that impossibility. We live that impossibility. But God, you made it possible. You saved us. You found us. Some of us have family today that are impossible situations. And I pray, God, that we, we yield them to you and ask God, do a miracle in their life. I pray that today would be a gospel day. Maybe some little kid in this room today would go home and be asking questions about what they heard today, what they witnessed today. And say, Mom, Dad, I, I want to be saved. I feel like now's the time. And God, that you would bless that mom, that dad, that parent, that foster parent, that grandparent with the ability to share the gospel with them. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul is, is writing this, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord... Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me yielded to you as we reflect upon what you endured for our healing you said you were by your stripes were healed this body was broken so Lord as we take this we take it in reverence and honor to you family take it in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for the remission of sins. And he said, do this, and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And he then said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What better way are we proclaiming the gospel than right now? If we can wait just a second, I think he's going to go make up a few more. But guys, I'm telling you, this is awesome. 
And I think, I, I, I'm glad I kind of got this moment just to kind of speak my heart. But this is the last time that we'll be gathered together for 2022. We won't see each other until 2023. And I think God's getting a church ready to storm hell with a water pistol. And guys, I can't tell you how blessed I am to be on the train with you. And I hope, I hope that I told, I think I was telling Steve, that my word right now that just keeps ringing in my head is the word inspire. It just keeps coming back over and over and over again. Whatever I can do to help inspire you to fulfill your God-given talent purpose, that together we haven't seen yet what God's going to do in Tacoa, Georgia. I want to know, are you ready? Are you ready? It's going to take everybody. And whatever we've got in our way, whatever's holding on to us, whatever would hold us back, we got to set that stuff aside and let's go. Let's charge forward. Let's do what God has called us collectively together to do. Because the Bible is really clear that if one part hurts, the whole body hurts. And that's no shame. That just means we got to rally around each other, lift each other up. So while we're sitting, I would like to ask you to bow your heads. And let's reflect for just a minute. Give Brian a couple of minutes to go back, grab a few more cups. What is it that God's going to ask you to do? We're still in Christmas today, I know. But next Sunday, we're going to be January 1st. What's one thing next year that God could put in your heart to do to make a difference in this world? What's the thing that God might call you to do? What's God moving in your heart today? And we're not, Crosby and I aren't special Christians, you know that, right? I mean, we're good looking, but I mean, we're not special Christians. And it's sad how the church kind of elevates guys like him and me to some kind of special class because we're pastors. We're not. We're all the same. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all in this journey together. So what would, would you be willing right now as we wait? Ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do this year? One step. It's just one step. And you could go home today and scribble it in your Bible, write it in a journal, write it on your hand. Just don't wash your hands next year. Write it somewhere and remind you, God, this is what I feel like you're moving on me to do. And sometimes the small, very, what might seem meaningless step can have great impact and you just don't. You just don't realize it. So would you pray that right now? Y'all sing with me. Silent night. Come on. Holy night. All is
hold your cup up. Thank you, Lord, for the blood that washes my sin away. Take and drink. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done in our lives and for sending your son, Jesus. And I invite again anyone in this room that doesn't know that peace, doesn't have that hope, that before they would leave today, they would find one of us and find out how they can have that peace. In Jesus' name, amen.